0: Good morning, folks, and welcome to Cornerstone Church. And I have the great opportunity of taking us through our third part in our series, A Life Intention. We've been looking at what it looks like and what it means for us as Christians to hold biblical truths in tension, truths that appear on the face of it to be contradictory. And the Bible is clear that these both things are true. We looked at a few weeks ago the whole issue of God being sovereign, being in control of all things, whilst also us as human beings being held responsible for our actions. And last week George took us through what does it mean for us to hold in tension that God is wrathful against sin and evil, but also is a God who is merciful. And gracious. And this week we're going to be looking at the tension of Jesus Christ being fully God whilst also being fully man. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Philippians chapter 2 and I'm going to read from verse 1 through to verse 11 together. Let's read that. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy. By being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Now, I know for a number of you, this question that I I am going to ask is premature. But for some of you, this question that I'm going to ask is an old question that you will be completely able to answer. This is the question: Are you ready for Christmas? Are you ready? Now, if you're anything like me, Christmas may well as may well as be a, a, a year away. It's I think about four weeks or eight weeks away at this point as I preach this sermon. So, if you're anything like me. It might as well be the next decade. But for some of you, I know that you would have been organized and ready for Christmas by the second week of the January sales this past year. Now, for all of us, the big question is this. What will Christmas be like for us this year? With all the COVID restri- restrictions, the questions are, are, will we be able to meet our family? Will we be able to travel right across the country to visit friends? What will Christmas dinner look like for us? Folks, now, I want you to understand this. I'm asking those questions as well. They're things that we're thinking through. They're things that we're all thinking through because what we anticipate this year will pro- is probably something very different than what we're used to. But there's one thing that I want us to know, there's one thing I want us to consider that whatever happens this year, however our Christmases occur, the real reason for Christmas doesn't change. It doesn't change at all. See, folks, Christmas isn't primarily about family time, even though that is a blessing for many. Christmas isn't about the giving and the receiving of gifts, which is fun and exciting and for many of us expensive. Christmas isn't about Christmas dinner and enjoying a nice drink. Christmas isn't about the movies on the TV. Folks, as Christians, I want to remind you and remind myself that the real reason for Christmas is a person. The one person, Jesus Christ. And I know we say that every year. We say that every year in the midst of all the other blessings and the trappings that Christmas brings. But maybe this year, the reason for Christmas, Jesus Christ, the one person, Jesus Christ, needs to be at the forefront of our thinking. So like Christmas, the most important thing for Christianity is not a set of doctrines, it's not a set of practices, it's not a set of laws of which they are all good and they are all helpful. The most important thing about Christmas and the most important thing about Christianity is the person, Jesus Christ. See, it was the Apostle Paul went right into the church in Corinth that he planted. He said right at the beginning of this letter, I want to remind you folks that when I was with you, I resolved to know nothing else amongst you apart from Jesus Christ and him crucified. See, Paul is saying our allegiance as Christians is not to the practice. It's not to the trappings. Our allegiance as Christians is to him. Now, folks, it is to him, not an idea of him, but the biblical truth of who Jesus actually is. Now, another thing I'm thinking about regarding Christmas is will we be able to sing carols? I'm sitting here now in the beautiful church building that God has provided for us. And folks, if you were sitting where I am, looking out across this building, what a joy it's gonna be one day when we'll be able to fill this place and bring worship to God through song. And Christmas is a time where we get to do that. Will we be able to sing the Christmas carols together As God's people. Now, when I'm talking Christmas carols, I'm not talking about the Christmas songs by Mariah or Shaking Stevens or Noddy Holder. I'm talking about the carols that have stood the test of time, the carols that are a reminder to us of the importance of this time of year, the person Jesus Christ. Now, as I've been thinking about those carols, I've been thinking about the content of those carols. And one of the key themes that comes through in all of those carols is. The coming of God to earth as a man. It is the incarnation. It is God taking on flesh. The coming of God from heaven, becoming a man, becoming a human, and saving humanity. Two of the most most adored Christmas carols that we will sing together, hopefully at Christmas time, but we have done for many, many years, is, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing and oh Come Let Us Adore Him. It says this, and hark the herald angels, sing. Veiled in flesh, the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with man to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, which means God is with us. And oh, come, let us adore him. It says this, yes, Lord, we greet thee. On this happy morning. Jesus, to thee be all glory given. Word of the Father, now in flesh appearing, O come, let us adore him. Folks, the incarnation, the coming of God in human form, the person of Jesus Christ is central to Christmas, and it is central to the Christian faith. So it is so important for us to understand that the most important thing about Christianity is the person Jesus Christ and him crucified. Folks, we need to know who he is. And we need to know that Jesus is both God who became a man. In John's gospel, in his account of the life and ministry, death, resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says right at the beginning this, in John chapter 1, in the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. See, right at the beginning of John's account of Jesus' life, he describes Jesus as The word. That word means logos, and the meaning of that is reason. The principle of divine reason and the created order. It's a word that John uses to describe Jesus Christ himself. And what does he say about Jesus, the word? He says that Jesus was there in the beginning. He says that Jesus was with God. He says that Jesus was God. He says that the word Jesus, that through him all things were made that are made. It says that he is the giver of life. And it says that he, Jesus the word, is the light that shines in the darkness and the darkness cannot overcome him. Right at the beginning of his account, Jesus is declared as God by John. Now as you come down that first chapter of chapter one, you get to verse 14. And John says this, and the word became Flesh, Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us. And we have seen his glory, glory as as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. So at the beginning of John's gospel, John tells us that Jesus Christ is both God and man. The eternal God takes on flesh and dwells among us. Now, when John says... The Word became flesh. It's not that Jesus went about changing anything of his essence as the Son of God, as the second member of the Trinity, as God himself. No, he didn't convert into a human. No, he assumed our human nature. And, as, and assuming our human nature, it's not that Jesus as, uh, assumes an individual that already exists. No, he assumes generic humanity. In that, that the particular man, Jesus of Nazareth, was conceived by the Holy Spirit in the womb of a young virgin girl called Mary just over 2,000 years ago. And he was born with two natures, one being divine and one being human, in the one person jesus christ and folks this truth these truths this truth that we have to hold in tension is accepted and believed by all christians and in summary christians believe that jesus has two natures divine and human that each nature is full and complete he is fully god whilst also being fully human that each of those natures remain distinct there's there's no overlap in that That Jesus is not two persons like he's got a split personality, that he is one person. And that things that are true of only one nature are nonetheless true of the person, Jesus Christ. So let me give you an example of that. The divine nature of Jesus is that he is all-powerful. Therefore, the person, Jesus, is all-powerful. Now the human nature of Jesus experiences hunger, therefore, the person, Jesus, is hungry. Now this is attention. this is attention. How can Jesus be both God and man? How can he be fully God whilst also being fully man? Folks, attention that we need to hold. Because the person of Jesus Christ is the most important thing to us as Christians. And to deny any part of his personhood is to deny the faith that we say we have. So what we're going to do is that we're going to take a look at the fact that Jesus is both divine and human. That he has both divine attributes and human attributes. Two natures, but he is one person. And theologians call this the hypostatic union. Two natures in the one person, Jesus Christ. So the Bible clearly tells us that Jesus is fully God. Now Jesus is referred to as Lord Kairos, which represents the name Yahweh that you will read in the Old Testament. Now in the book of Exodus, Moses meets God in a burning bush. And God speaks to him and tells him that he wants him to return back to Egypt to deliver his people from slavery. And Moses says to him, who who shall I say sent me? And it tells us in Exodus chapter 3 that God's response is, tell them, I am sent you. I am. Now in John chapter 8, within the New Testament, within the account of Jesus' life and ministry, Jesus claims this. He says this, Before Abraham was, so Abraham came before Moses, before Abraham was, I am. Jesus himself claims to be Yahweh, claims to be God. So to say that Jesus is Lord is to say that he is everything that God is. Now, as you read through the New Testament, we will see in the the New Testament that Jesus has divine attributes. We are shown there that Jesus knows everything. And then if you remember the account in John chapter 4, where Jesus meets the Samaritan woman at the well, Jesus proceeds as he speaks to a woman that he has never met before to tell her everything about her life. She runs off to tell her friends, to tell the people in the community, come and listen to this man who's just told me everything about my life. I don't know him, but he's telling me everything there is to know about me. Jesus knows everything. Also in Luke chapter 11, when, when, when Jesus is, is, is under attack by some of the religious leaders and they're trying to trick him, the Bible tells us that Jesus knew their thoughts in that moment. Jesus knows everything. The New Testament tells us that Jesus is everywhere. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 20, Jesus says that when two or three are gathered, there I am in the midst. Also, in the Great Commission in Matthew 28, he says to his disciples, as he instructs them to go and declare the gospel to the ends of the earth, he says this, I am with you always. Jesus is everywhere. We read in Mark's gospel, and right through all the gospel accounts, how powerful Jesus is. That Jesus is powerful. He has the power of God. Now, particularly in, in Mark's gospel, what you will see is that Jesus has power and authority over creation. He can't a storm. He has power and authority over evil spirits. He has power and authority over disease and even death as he raises a child from the dead. That Jesus has Power divine power. The New Testament tells us that Jesus depends on nothing outside of himself for life. In John chapter 1 verse 4, it tells us in him was life, that actually life comes from him. And in John 14, Jesus proclaims that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is the life. So Jesus depends on nothing outside of himself for his existence, for life. The New Testament tells us that Jesus has always been, that Jesus is eternal. Again, in John chapter one that I read before, he was in the beginning with God. And Jesus rules over everything the New Testament tells us. Matthew 28, Jesus says this to his disciples, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And that Jesus, in his divine nature, is the creator and sustainer of all things. Colossians chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 says this, For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So folks, as you read through the Bible, as you read through the New Testament specifically, it is clear that Jesus Christ, the person Jesus Christ, is fully God. Now Jesus has always been God, but Jesus hasn't always been human. But in becoming flesh just over 2,000 years ago, the Son of God became fully human whilst also remaining fully God. So the Bible not only talks about Jesus being fully God, it also talks about him being fully human, fully man. See, Jesus was born of a woman conceived by the Holy Spirit. Galatians tells us that But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And in Matthew chapter 1, where it talks about the, the coming of Jesus as a baby, it tells us that Mary was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was born of a woman. Now today, as I'm preaching, I have just received news that Ben and Sophie Blundell, I've just had a little baby girl. That's a real birth that has occurred. Folks, that happened to the Lord Jesus Christ. Jesus was born of a woman. That Jesus grew normally. It's interesting that the Lord Jesus' ministry didn't start until he was 30 years of age. And at the beginning of his ministry, People were surprised that it was him. Isn't this Jesus, the carpenter's son? Even his own family was surprised by what he brought. So Jesus actually grew up in a town where people knew him normally. There was nothing special about him in the way that he conducted himself. He, he wasn't some sort of child prodigy. Yeah, we have stories of him engaging in the temple, but in the main, he grew normally like any normal little boy would. That Jesus is human and that he experienced joy and brokenness that this world brings. See, the Lord Jesus experienced the full breadth of emotions. See, he knew joy. He attended a wedding. He knew happiness. He knew grief. As he stood at the graveside of his dear friend Lazarus, he knew sorrow. He knew betrayal. And he knew pain. In fact, the Bible describes the coming of Jesus, the Messiah, as the man of sorrows who was acquainted with grief. See, Jesus is human in that he understood and experienced the limitations of being human. See, the Lord Jesus required food. John 4, he required a drink. That's why he ended up talking to the Samaritan woman, because he was thirsty. As she was drawing water from the well. And he lived independency and the filling and the guidance of God, the Holy Spirit. See, he knew the limitations of what it is to be human. And folks, if we are honest with ourselves, we know that we are limited. Jesus is human in that he was tempted in every way like us, yet without sin. See, Hebrews 4 tells us that Jesus was tempted just like us in every way, But he didn't sin. Now, you might say, well, there you go, Steve. How can Jesus be human if he didn't sin? Because to sin is to be human. Now, folks, that's an element that we have to deal with in order for us to grasp the whole issue of Jesus being human. See, to sin doesn't make us human. Actually, to sin distorts our humanity. It distorts the image that we bear as we all bear the image of God. See, folks, sin is accidental rather than essential to our human nature. Adam, when created, was created perfect without sin. And the Lord Jesus was tempted like us in every way but was not fallen. Therefore, he did not sin. In fact, folks, Jesus was and is more human than we are because he is sinless. See, Jesus is human in that he died. He died on a cross. He understood what it was to be frail. He understood what it is to suffer pain. And he understood what it is to die. So the Bible is clear, folks, that Jesus is fully human. And in fact, in 1 John chapter 4, verses 2 and 3, it tells us that to deny the humanity of Jesus Christ is actually to be in line with, with, with an antichrist with the Antichrist. Let me read this to you by this you you know the spirits of God every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, and every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. this is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming. And now is in the world already. So to deny that Jesus is fully human is actually to align yourself with evil, to align yourself with the devil. And that comes straight from the word of God. See, the Bible rebukes those who deny the humanity of Jesus. So as we've looked briefly apart in the Bible and considered the life of Jesus, Jesus is fully God and he is fully man. He has two natures in one person. He has divine attributes and human attributes that are the person of Jesus. Now those two attributes are without confusion. Without confusion. He is fully God and he is fully human. These two natures don't mix to create some other form or nature of being. They are without change. So when Jesus became a human, he did not cease to be what he had always been in his divine nature. They are without division, that these two natures do not bring about a split in the person of Jesus. He's not like half man and half God, but he is fully man and he is fully God, and they are without separation, that the union of his divine nature and human nature is a real organic union, not a sympathetic partnership that will remain so for all eternity. Charles Hatton Spurgeon, one of my heroes from the 19th century said this, that Jesus was infinite and yet an infant. He was eternal and yet born of a woman, almighty and yet nursing at a woman's breast, supporting a universe yet needing to be carried in a mother's arms, heir of all things and yet the carpenter's despised son. So the question is, if Jesus was fully God and fully man, For what purpose did God become flesh? For what purpose? See, folks, the purpose of the incarnation, God becoming flesh, was so that God could live our life. That he could suffer and know our weaknesses. And so he could fulfill the law in order to be a perfect, substitutionary sacrifice for our sin. The Bible is clear that we have sinned against God and the wages of sin is death. And the only thing that can atone for that sin, can atone uh, and, and pay the price of that judgment is the death of a human being. But the human being has to also keep the law in order to be in the right place. And none of us were able to do that. So in order for that to occur, it had to be the sacrifice of a human being, the blood of a perfect person, of which no human being that has ever lived apart from Jesus himself is able to live the life that we cannot live. And he was the only one who could die the death that each of us deserve. So folks, so in order to do that, and even though he was fully God, Jesus had to limit his divine attributes, whilst in the state of humble humanity during his life and his ministry. Now, to limit his attributes doesn't mean that he became any less. See, what we see in the Gospels is we see that Jesus limited his power. Actually, when the religious leaders and the soldiers came to arrest the Lord Jesus Christ, there was a, bit, a little bit of a kickoff with uh, one of his disciples who tried to stop her and he cut off a, a guard's uh, ear and Jesus stops and Jesus says, don't you think I can call down a legion of angels? But he limited his power. Actually, when Jesus was talking about what the signs would be and what would happen when he returns in his second coming, he says this. Then not only do you not know when that time will be, then not I also, as the Son, will not know what time that will be. He limited his knowledge. And in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 17, it says this He had to be made like his brothers in every respect, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God to make propitiation for the sins of the people. God had to become flesh in order to live a perfect life as a human, in order that he could stand in our place as a sacrifice, receiving the punishment of our sin for us as humans so that we can be pardoned and we can be forgiven. So folks, to lose this tension and to pick a side causes us to actually lose who Jesus is and therefore lose the gospel. So if we choose that Jesus is only God, then the incarnation, life, ministry, death, resurrection, ascension, and second coming of Jesus has no impact on humanity at any level. Likewise, if we choose that Jesus was not God, but only man, we miss that God steps into time to redeem a people, and it becomes more that he just uses a man as a good example. Folks, taking aside, rather than holding both truths in tension, causes us to miss the truth of who Jesus is. And therefore, we miss out on the truth of the gospel. We miss out on blessing, and we miss out on growth as Christian people. Now, now, There is an importance of us holding those truths. There is comfort in us holding those truths. And there are implications of us holding those truths as we live today. Hebrews chapter 4 says this, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Folks, because Jesus is fully human, we know he is able to sympathize with our reality. But not only that, he represents us before God as a human being. See, Jesus died as a man. The sin of humanity has been atoned for, praise God, according to this. It has been paid. Jesus rose physically as a human man. So death has been defeated and there is hope for us as humans in newness of life because a human has been raised from the dead never to die again. He ascended to be in the presence of God the Father and he intercedes for us as a human man. So now we know that humanity is in the presence of God. No longer is humanity because of sin cast away from the presence of God, but is in the presence of God. And the man, Christ Jesus, will return and we will be made new. We will be given new bodies and we will experience humanity in all its fullness, just like him. Folks, there are important implications and comforts for us in that Jesus is fully human. But there are also important implications and comforts for us because Jesus is fully God. Because we have a God who understands. We know that he understands. That he is not distant, but he has dwelt among us. We have a God who has not stood at the sidelines and says, get on with it, folks. No, he has stepped in to save his people. We have a God who has graciously taken what we deserve. We have a God who has laid aside his majesty and given up everything for us, who humbled himself even unto death for us. Folks, to reject Jesus' divinity is to reject Jesus. And folks, to reject Jesus' humanity is to reject Jesus. See, that is important. And that is comforting. It's comforting. So we need to hold the truth of who Jesus is truly in this tension. Be thankful for him and praise him. Now folks, those implications and that comfort is for us now and it is for our future hope. Jesus has stepped in to save us and we know that this is not the all that it is and we are passing through, waiting for his return till he makes all things new. But there is something about the coming of Jesus as a, as a man and being also fully God and from the passage that I read right at the beginning from Philippians 2 that should help us live in this life as we await his return. See, the passage I read from Philippians was Paul urging the church in Philippi to look at the incarnation of Jesus. Look at Christ and have the mind amongst you just like he has. See, Paul says this, have a mind like his. Seek opportunity to deny yourself for the glory of God and others. What did Jesus do? Jesus denies himself, leaves the throne room of heaven. He does not consider robbery to be like God, but lays aside and limits elements of his divine attributes and humbles himself. Folks, let us be like that. And let us today seek opportunity to deny ourselves for the glory of God and the good of others. That we should pursue humility like Christ. In that we don't hold onto things like riches, position, comfort. But rather humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God for his glory and the good of others. Jesus left heaven and stepped into the brokenness of the world to take on flesh. And he experiences the brokenness of flesh and the brokenness of this world. In all its fullness, he humbles himself. Let us have the mind of Christ and let us pursue humility like Jesus in light of what he has done for us in light of the fact that he has come as flesh and let us walk in obedience and dependency on God the Holy Spirit. The Lord Jesus humbles himself to a form of a servant even unto death and as he serves he serves God the Father and those who he is going to save who do not deserve it. And as you read through the gospel accounts, he is constantly dependent on God the Holy Spirit. Folks, if Jesus was dependent on the Spirit, what makes us think we don't need to be? So have the mind like Christ. P- pursue humility like Christ. And let us walk in humble obedience and dependence on God the Holy Spirit. Because Jesus, who was fully God and also fully man, did just that and we live knowing that Jesus has been exalted and his name is higher than any other name and that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord Jesus Christ is Yahweh Jesus Christ is I am Jesus Christ is God the God man Jesus Christ. Folks, Jesus has come. Jesus has saved. Jesus is interceding for us. Jesus will return and Jesus will come back as God and man and make all things new. Veiled in flesh the Godhead see. Hail the incarnate deity. Pleased as man with men to dwell. Jesus our Emmanuel, God with us. Jesus Christ Fully God and fully man. Let's hold that tension for his glory and for the good of others. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for your son, Jesus. And we thank you that he stepped into the brokenness and became a man. We thank you that he is fully God and he is fully man. And that we have a God that a savior and a high priest who is able to sympathize with us, who has been in, tempted in every way, yet without sin, that he has lived the life of a, as a full human, that he kept the covenant, that he kept the law, that he fulfilled all that was required and he died in our place so that we can be saved. Help us, we pray, to believe that and to live in light of that for your glory. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.